In the early 20th century, in the bustling Texas town of Wichita Falls, J.D. McMahon had an idea. It was a simple idea to solve a relatively straightforward problem. Oil was found in mass around the city of Wichita Falls, which attracted a lot of new settlers. While the oil was abundant, space was not. Oil tycoons needed somewhere to office, but the town was never planning on becoming such a hub so no large building or offices had been constructed. So, J.D. gathered some fellow oil capitalists and pitched them an idea to build Wichita Falls' first skyscraper. He needed $200,000, which today would be a little over $3 million, and he raised every penny of it. Then the opening day for the building came and brought with it a legal suit. The building was only four stories tall, and it featured a cramp 430 square feet on each floor. A skyscraper this was not. Attorneys for the investors fired away their lawsuits toward J.D. McMahon, but not a single one stuck. J.D. McMahon walked away with every penny and a funny-looking building as well. How did he do it? Well, he told the truth, up front. Upon inspecting the documents for the plans, McMahon had listed the building's height as 480 inches, using a quotation mark to abbreviate inches. Investors overlooked this detail or assumed it was a typo, assuming McMahon meant to use a single apostrophe to indicate 480 feet. They signed the dotted line. McMahon told the truth and the investors, caught up in the glory of the idea, went along with it willingly and with all the facts. Today you can visit this building in Wichita Falls, now dubbed the world's littlest skyscraper. It is a testament to reading the fine print. Sometimes the truth is there all along, we just don't choose to see it. When it came to John and his story, or Denise and her contributions, the truth was there all along. Perhaps you and I just chose not to see it. How do you know when someone is lying, or stretching, or creating a scenario that sets you up to believe something that might not really be what you think it is? That's a tough question, but one we need to answer if we are talking about UFOs. For instance, how can we trust government claims about researching UFOs or even an eyewitness testimony if the truth can be bent so easily? Step 1 of Spotting the Lie narrow our field of suspects. This is Crashed in Roswell, survivors in a misunderstood city. The lie in our story was first brought to my attention during the release of season two through an email sent to me by a listener. It was a lengthy email and you'll be hearing excerpts of it throughout this season. But overall, it contained a lot of information. The first thing it did was narrow down who exactly told a lie. And that's what I want to talk about first. We will get to the email in this episode, but reading the email made me think about my lack of journalistic research on some elements in the show. An expert at UFOs, I am not. I mostly relied on other experts to tell me what I needed to know. But how can I really trust them? When someone you have trusted all along is pointed out as having told a lie, it becomes a lot easier to discredit everything they have told you. We end up skeptical of every so-called expert because if one cannot be trusted, how can any of them? The only way I could be sure of their research is to research it myself, which is how I ended up in a library.
Inside the Roswell UFO Museum, off to the right, through a short corridor, is a quiet, well-lit room filled with articles, books, and news clippings. It is the largest collection of UFO research, books, and articles in the world. It's astounding how much information there is on UFOs. How many books and articles roughly are gathered in this library, and how many do you think that they might add to every year? According to the librarian, there's about 6,000 UFO-related books here. That is Dennis Balthaser again. Of those 6,000, between 350 and 400 are mine. When I retired, I donated everything to the museum. Pretty impressive for the little town of Roswell, known for UFOs, to have a library of this size. Next door is the archives where people can do research. That's just loaded with different books, magazines, and different articles based on UFO reports. How many people come in here every year and thumb through the articles and look through the exhibits? When I'm here, I always see, I'm here a couple hours and I'll see 10 to 15 people come through here and look through the books or look at the books. Once in a while I'll find somebody over in the archives that actually has pulled something out, is making notes, maybe doing some research or something. So it's, it's open to the public. If they want to come in and, and do their own research or look through the books, that's fine. Out of what, 200 and something thousand people who come through the museum? Last year, I believe year. it was 210,000. Wow. Have there been any neat discoveries or any big reveals from the research done here in this library that you can think of? Well, a lot of, the, a lot of witnesses that we've been able to, to get because of the research we've done in the past and continue to look for new people. The problem we're now running into is this happened in 1947. If the guys were 20 years old when they were in the military, today they're 95. If they're alive, we're running out of first-hand witnesses daily. And it won't be many years, if, if it may be a few years, there won't be any first-hand witnesses. And that's gonna be a problem to try to continue to pursue the, the investigation. Because the internet is so easy to use and gather information, we've perhaps lost the love we used to have for libraries. We have forgotten the intimidating, powerful feeling of standing in the midst of books towering overhead, their collective knowledge permeating every inch of the air in the room. Standing in the UFO library is no different. It reminds you that UFO research is a real business. Hundreds of serious researchers have contributed unbelievable amounts of content to this field. If this was just a wild conspiracy, there certainly are a lot of facts and data backing it up. Still, just because someone wrote a book about UFOs does not mean that the information is correct. For something to be a real fact, it must be peer-reviewed, independently tested, and replicated by others to see how it stands up. It is the scientific method, the process we've used to launch ourselves out into space and onward into the unknown. So how do you independently fact-check and scrutinize books and articles about something still as nebulous as UFOs and alien life in our galaxy? How do you know or you fact-check or even verify that the articles and books in this library are actually research and not just sci-fi fantasy or 
hoaxsters. No, I'd say I say probably a good portion of them are sci-fi or made-up books that aren't factual. What's the value of having them here in this library? It's related to the subject, and I mean you can go. <laughs> You can just not just stop at UFOs. You can go into other paranormal abductions, uh, sightings, cattle mutilations. Those things all fall under a big umbrella of, of paranormal things that may or may not be related to UFOs. Perhaps you too can spend time in the UFO Center Library and uncover a secret or two. Though I can't guarantee you'll always like the secret you'll uncover. You might discover that someone you trusted in the beginning has stretched the truth and misled you all along. Then is there anything in their story trustworthy? How could I trust anything said by John or Denise or even Hank, John's brother, after the email I received told me the truth? Before we get back to the episode, I want to thank our season sponsors, the UFO Festival. Here in Roswell, New Mexico in 2022, it is going to be the 75th anniversary of the UFO crash outside of our community, the very one that made us famous. And the UFO Festival is our yearly celebration of all of the wacky and serious and weird and wonderful, interesting things that happened surrounding that iconic event. There's going to be so much to do and see here in Roswell during that period of time, including the Galaxy Fair, which will have live music, a beer garden, children's entertainment, a circus camp, so much more. There's a 5K walk-run alien chase. There's laser show and sci-fi movies happening in the Goddard Planetarium. There's a main stage concert going on that you don't want to miss. There's so much happening in Roswell, and you can learn all about it at the UFOfestival.com. There you'll see the full lineup of things to do, get ideas on where you can stay, and learn how you can extend your stay by seeing what's going on surrounding the community during that period of time. The UFO Festival is happening July 4th weekend right here in Roswell, New Mexico, and you can go to ufofestival.com to learn more. I think it was a Wednesday, and a relatively quiet one at that. I was sitting in my office killing time when an email popped up into my inbox. I didn't recognize the name, but I could tell from the sender and the subject line that it was a real person. The subject line read, Your podcast about my family. My family? I was pretty sure this person wasn't talking about my family, Kyle's family. There would be only one other family that I could think of. I immediately opened it. The first part read, Dear Kyle, my name is Ethan My mother is Denise I'm writing to you because I've been listening to your podcast. There are a few things you should probably know about my family that my mother may not have shared with you. My heart skipped a beat, and then it stopped. I read on, and by the way, I redacted the family's last name out of respect for their wishes. You'll hopefully understand why by the end of this season. It continues. My mother told me about the podcast the other day. I understand that you've talked to her several times and that she agreed to allow you to use her interviews on the show. She had not informed me about this before the show's release, which does not surprise me at all. I probably would not have approved if she'd told me in advance, but she is an adult and does not need my consent. The short story is, I don't think my mother is the most reliable source. There it was. 
Denise, suspect number one. Ethan goes on a little further in the email. I've started doing genealogy and learning about my roots. My mother hasn't been super excited about it. And then he names two other people who have stories that don't line up in the show. You guessed it. John and his late brother, Hank. You know, he died um, back when I was in the army. He had a motorcycle accident. Hank is tragically taken out of the picture years prior to our podcast. He leaves behind a daughter, Denise, and a brother we get to know named John, who seems to be estranged from the rest of the family. Together, I'm told they have covered up a truth that has lasted ages. Do you have someone in your family or in your life who has told you a story, maybe a downright lie or an exaggeration of the truth, and you only discovered this years later? Maybe it was something small, like Santa Claus. Maybe it was something big, like a deep family secret hidden from you. It's easy to throw our hands up in rage and reject anything they have to say again. It can feel like a betrayal. But before we let the knife sink deep into our backs, let's pause for a moment. We figured out who has lied to us. We haven't figured out why they lied to us, and we haven't discovered the truth behind the lie. Perhaps they were trying to protect us from some darker, more sinister thing. Knowing why may not justify their actions, but it may help us understand them better and it may help us discover a deeper truth we've been searching for the whole time. On the next episode of Crashed in Roswell, we learn what John and Denise were lying to us about and how Hank is involved in their lie. Plus, I do some more digging into my family's history, uncovering a military secret my grandfather kept from his family until the day he died. That's next time on Crashed in Roswell, Survivors in a Misunderstood City. My thanks to Ryan Bishop, Boyd Barrett, Dennis Balthaser, and David Langford for help on this podcast. And my thanks to Brian Hunley for writing our theme song. Special thanks to Owen McCune for additional contributions as well. If you like this show, do us a favor by liking, subscribing, following the podcast, and leaving us a review. You can also check out more by going to crashedinroswell.com for behind-the-scenes content, crashed merch, and much more.